prayer because we, we want to admit the reality that often we're not ready to hear from God when we come. And so this prayer is to ask God through his spirit to meet us wherever we may be. So join me as we pray together. Make us to know your ways, O Lord. Teach us your paths. Lead us in your truth and teach us. For you are the God of our salvation. For you we wait all day long. Amen. Our reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah. We're starting a new Advent series this morning. We're going to be reading from chapter 9 of Isaiah, just two verses, verse 6 and 7. This is the word of God. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of God. It's Advent. It's a season of anticipation as we enter into December, the last month of 2017. And the excitement is building as we wait for the coming of Star Wars Episode 8. The Last Jedi. Yes, the anticipation is palpable. I know some of you probably have never even seen Star Wars, but for the rest of us, we're huge fans. And this uh, past week, a few days ago, Mark Hamill, uh, Luke Skywalker, was on Good Morning America promoting the film, and he was asked to share what it's like being involved in such a popular movie series. And Hamill said something very interesting. This is what he said. He said, it's wonderful to be associated with something that makes people happy and is escapism. People want to get away. We don't want real life. It's too harsh. Hamill is absolutely right. We don't want real life. It is too harsh. We want to escape. And we live in a time when there are so many ways for us to escape. We can binge watch a new series on Netflix. We can lose ourselves in a new video game. We can surf online endlessly for no reason other than to avoid whatever real life issues we're faced with. We can throw ourselves into our work. We can exercise seven days a week. We can travel the world, anything to get away from reality. Life is hard. Life is full of disappointments. Life is 
full of unfulfilled desire and dreams and expectations. Life is harsh. The world, it truly is full of darkness if we're willing to face it. And that's what Advent represents for us as Christians. Advent is a time where we face the harsh reality of the world, of our lives. To be able to confront it and refuse to escape. Refuse to choose that easy path and instead say, no, this is an opportunity for us together to admit, yes, life is harsh, but our eyes are turned to God in hope. That's what Advent is. It's what this season should be. Thousands of years ago, the nation of Israel was confronted with the reality of, of the darkness that was on the footsteps of, of Israel. The Assyrian army would soon invade and destroy the nation. And Isaiah 9 starts off with this acknowledgement that the darkness is real. And yet Isaiah offers this hope for the people of God, a light that would come. We didn't read it, but the early part of the chapter, in the first two verses, it says this, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now what's interesting is the way uh, this chapter plays out, Isaiah speaks in the past tense as if this has already happened. And that's the case for Isaiah and for God, their perspective is, this has already happened. Isaiah's confidence is in the Lord. And so it's as good as done. God is going to liberate his people. He's going to save them from their destruction. And it's not just their ultimate annihilation from the Assyrians. What Isaiah is speaking about is something grander, something bigger. The prophecies of the Old Testament, like we find in chapter 9, speak of a cosmic salvation that God's going to bring. In verse 5, the verse right before 6 and 7 that we read this morning says this, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Isaiah is saying that God is going to bring Peace, cosmic, universal peace. There will no longer be war. We spoke of it in the call to worship this morning that speaks of that peace to come that God will bring. But how is God going to do this? That's the question. How will the light pierce the darkness? Will God deliver his people with plagues like he did in Egypt? Will frogs and hail rain down from the skies? Will he send an angel of death? Or perhaps God will answer their prayers with fire from heaven that will consume God's enemies, much like Elijah's prayer to God to bring fire from the heavens, to consume the sacrifice, to show God's power over the prophets of Baal. Is that how God's going to do it? Well, Isaiah 9-6 gives us a clue. It tells us God's plan here of bringing light 
to defeat the darkness, for us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For the next four weeks, we're looking at those four names here in verse 6 that describe the child. This morning, we're looking at Wonderful Counselor. Now, what does this name tell us about the child to come? Well, let's start with that word, wonderful. Now, we might use the term wonderful to describe something enjoyable or or pleasant. I I had a, a wonderful meal, or that was a wonderful walk we just took. That's how we might use that term today. But here, wonderful has more of an awe-inspiring aspect to it. It it speaks to miracles, miraculous things, something that is miraculous. It's closer to the concept of an experience that causes you to go, wow. That's what wonderful means here. Anne Lamott, in her little book on prayer called Help, Thanks, Wow, uh, essentially what she's done with those three simple words is given her a synopsis of what prayer should um, involve. We ask God for help, we thank him, and we marvel at who he is and what he's done. In Lamont's own words, she says this, Wow is often offered with a gasp, a sharp intake of breath, when we can't think of another way to capture the sight of shocking beauty or destruction, of a sudden unbidden insight, or an unexpected flash of grace. Wow is about having one's mind blown by the mesmerizing or the miraculous. And there's no bigger wow than the reality of who the child is that's to come. Now, Earlier on in Isaiah in chapter 7, there's another name given to this child, and it may be the more famous verse from the book of Isaiah. It says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel there means God with us. Now, this is counter to our experience in the darkness, isn't it? Our experience is that God isn't with us. That must have been the Israelites' experience. But Isaiah is coming with news that this child is coming, and this child is God himself with his people. God with us should truly fill us with wonder. But let me ask you, this Advent season... Do you find the concept of the incarnation, the child, God in flesh, to be dull or boring? Do you yawn this Advent? Do you shrug your shoulders? And do you wonder, what's the big deal? I want you to imagine for a second a a very popular celebrity or famous person that you were told they're going to come and spend Christmas dinner with you. You know, for me, I imagine uh, a former president, President Carter or Bush or Obama, or maybe a famous musician, uh, Bono from U2 or Yo-Yo Ma. 
It would fill me with awe and wonder to imagine that they would come to my house and spend a meal with me. And that's the idea of this wonderful counselor who's to come. It should fill us with awe. God in the flesh come to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's God's answer to the darkness. That he is there holding our hand in the midst of the darkness. He is not out there distant away from us. And it should fill us with wonder. This child all the darkness, all the mess, all the disappointment, and God's answer is, I'm coming as a child to be with you. If I were the God of the universe, that would not be my plan. That would not be how I would do it. And that's why we should go, wow. So what do we, what do we learn from counselor, from this title counselor? Well, when we hear the word counselor, we should tend to think of a therapist. And therapists today, uh, their approach oftentimes is they're great listeners. They listen well, and they ask very good questions. But counselors today try not to tell you what to do. They try not to give you uh, too much advice, depending on the counselor. But that's exactly how I want you to view the counselor here Isaiah describes. We should think more of a strategist. Remember, in the ancient world, a counselor would have been a military advisor for a king. And so here's the problem. Darkness has entered into the world. That's our condition. That's our state. And Isaiah is proclaiming the child who is a miracle-working strategist. A child who knows the best way to defeat the darkness. A child who knows the best path to win. A child who knows that flexing his muscles and his power is not the way to victory. Because that is how God could have come. That is how Jesus could have come into the world. He could have come as a grown man in military might, dressed for war, ready to conquer, overwhelm his enemy. Instead, he comes as a child. He comes as a baby. Ray Ortland puts it this way in his commentary on Isaiah. God's answer to everything that has ever terrorized us is a child. The power of God is so far superior to the Assyrians in all the big shots of the world, that he could defeat them by becoming as a mere child. His answer to the bullies swaggering through history is not to become an even bigger bully. His answer is Jesus. Study the life of Jesus and you'll see this. The wonderful counselor on display. He displays the wisdom of God perfectly in all that he did, not just in his teaching but in the way he lived his life. He didn't live in, with privilege. He didn't live in a palace. He didn't live on a throne. Instead, he lived in lowliness and meekness and humility, born to a poor virgin and a carpenter, growing up in a simple home with simple means, a man who came to serve, not to serve. He pursued the broken, the sick, not just the physically sick, but especially the spiritually sick. 
He didn't come to judge. He didn't come to condemn. The only people Jesus was harsh towards and were the, were the self-righteous and the powerful. This wonderful counselor did not gravitate to the powerful. Did not gravitate to those who, if we were picking our team, would not pick the disciples. Probably would not pick anyone in this room. You, I know right now there's a, uh, on ESPN there's a playoff selection show happening. You may not be a college football fan. I'm a huge college football fan. And if you didn't know it, the way they choose the best team in the country is a committee gets in a room and they look at the season, they look at all the teams, and then they pick the top four teams based on all these categories, on their resume and, and who they played and their strength of schedule and all of these qualifications. And they talk about all the time that the committee has, looks at the team's resume to choose whether or not they're worthy of being in the playoff. Now, everybody going into this morning knew Clemson, Oklahoma, and Georgia were going to get there. Now, some of you may know who the fourth is. Please don't say it right now. <laughs> but there was a fourth team that no one knew because it was either going to be Ohio State, which happens to be my favorite team, or Alabama. Both teams deserving. It just depends on who the committee feels has the better resume. Now, bear with me for a moment. Let's imagine Jesus in that committee room. I would imagine that Jesus' four would probably be Ball State, Rice, Charlotte, and UTEP. The bottom four teams of the 130 teams picked. Ball State was 2-10. and 10. Rice's only win came against UTEP, who was the last <laughs> team and didn't beat anybody. Bear with me there. It's just to make the point. This is how Jesus operated. Thankfully, that's how he picks us. He doesn't look at your resume. He chooses to love you. And, and he's going to love you. And he's going to win you. And that's how he defeats the darkness. Because the ultimate reality, friends, is the darkness, while it's in our world, it's also in us. And if it was dependent upon us to build up our resume, then we truly are hopeless. But the reason Isaiah and the reason you and I can sit here this morning with hope is because Jesus' strategy was different Jesus' strategy is not to win through power and might and victory. Jesus' path was to win through defeat, through sacrifice, through giving himself on the cross. And that is the same path that you and I follow and that we hope in this Advent. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the most awe-inspiring part of the story, is it not? That the Christ child, the wonderful counselor, would come and die for you and for me to bring us into the light. Resurrection. Resurrection. Life out of death. Light out of darkness. This is the hope. This is the foolishness that we believe in. And it is foolish to our world. And it may be foolish to you this morning. But without it, you don't have any hope. Because you can't bear the burden of putting the hope in you or me or anybody else. It can only be grounded in Jesus. And I know sometimes when you look at all of the the darkness in your life and you're overwhelmed by the burdens and you look at yourself and how time and time again you fail, you might be in that place where you're like, there is no hope. Every day is one more disappointment. And in that feeling, I know it. I know it. I can, I am with you in that. Uh, Liv and I, have, we have one show at a time that we try to watch if we can. And This Is Us is a show right now that we're kind of committed to watching. We love it. We cry every episode if you've seen it. I dare you not to cry in every episode. And I love it. I know. I know they're pulling my heartstrings. Bring it on. I want more of that. I want to feel. And, and that show makes me feel. And one of the things about the show as they follow the lives of the three uh, siblings, and Kate is one of the, the, the women that they follow in the story, and she is engaged to this man, Toby, and they find out, this is in the second season, I'm not going to ruin everything for you, but she finds out she's pregnant, and she doesn't even want to tell Toby. And she, and she eventually does, but she tells Toby, don't tell anybody, and he's like, Why? Because it won't happen. Something will happen. I can't allow myself to hope because I know it will fail. I know I don't deserve it. All of the, the shame and all of the despair and everything just flows out of her. And that is sometimes how we feel at Advent. I'm so connected with Kate. I feel that way at times. When I look around my surroundings and all the hurt and the pain, I think, what's the point of hoping? And yet Isaiah speaks out of the darkness to us this morning and says, you have a wonderful counselor, one to hope in. And so we come as God's people and we hold on to that. And this morning we're going to take the Lord's Supper and that's a demonstration of that hope. We take a step up. You come, you receive the body and the blood of Christ and you refuse to escape. You refuse to turn away from reality and you set your eyes on Jesus. Join me as we pray together. Lord, thank you for the good news. Thank you that you are our wonderful counselor and that you, you know the best path. Your plan is perfect. And we hope in this plan that speaks of the light.
breaking through the darkness and the hope that we can rest in this morning. And I pray in this meal that we would find that hope and it would begin to settle in our hearts and be a reality in our lives today. We pray in your name. Amen.